My good friend and classmate Eric once described Unitarian Universalism to me as a do-it-yourself religion. While I could make the case that we in fact create Unitarian Universalism together and not as individuals, I get what he was saying. Our religion is based, at least in part, on the freedom that each of us has to explore, to filter things through the lenses of our own upbringing and experience, to learn the ways others see the world, and in the end to choose what we believe and what we don't. We have a religion in which our own personal choices matter a lot. Those choices make us, by definition, a religion of heretics. Why some may bristle at that word, let me explain it a little more. It comes from the Greek root heresis, which means simply to choose. Used in the religious sense, it applies to someone who has chosen their belief, rather than submitting to a doctrine given to us as the right way to think. We are a religious people who reject any and all orthodoxies, sets of dogma that stand unquestioned. And well, that makes us heretics, at least in the purely objective sense of the word. And yet, there are things that bind us together as Unitarian Universalists. We come together in congregations despite our differences in belief, bound by the notion that the freedom of choice comes with certain responsibilities. The responsibility is to listen to one another when we disagree, to learn from one another, to challenge one another, to admit when we are wrong. The responsibility is to think about things, to use our sense of reason to make sense of our experiences. The responsibility is to take care of one another, to heal our broken world, and to understand power and its implications. And the responsibility is to be true to ourselves, to heed the still small voice inside of us that calls us to make decisions ethically and morally, the voice which the Buddhist teacher in today's story told his students about. We under understand that there are some things that we just have to do. The Reverend Richard Gilbert, in his book, The Prophetic Imperative, calls these things the basis of ethics. He writes, in the day-to-day -day of our living, we are obliged to consider our relationships, not with history as an abstraction, but with the flesh and blood people with whom we live and work. Ethics are unenforceable obligations. Ethics, he continues, are the inner imperatives that prompt us to care when we need not, to act when it may be controversial, to serve when we would rather indulge ourselves. The true test of character, Gilbert concludes, is to act when doing so will not do us any personal good. Today, I hope to make the case that one of the ethical obligations we have as Unitarian Universalists, as a people of faith committed to choice and freedom, is the obligation to exercise our right to vote. While Dick Gilbert makes it clear that our primary ethical obligations are to our contemporaries, I would suggest that we have ethical obligations to history as well. 
Unitarian Universalist history and American history in general is full of people whose lives were spent trying to broaden the rights of our nation's citizens. Our forebears fought for the abolition of slavery, championed women's suffrage, and marched for civil rights. I'll mention two of those people briefly today in the hope that their story will inspire you to act in the present. Susan B. Anthony, born a Quaker but later a Unitarian, is one of the many people who spent years insisting that women deserved the right to vote. Anthony famously led a group of women to the polls in Rochester, New York in 1872 to test the right of women to the franchise under the 14th Amendment. She was promptly arrested, tried, and fined $100 for her crime, a fine she refused to pay. The 19th Amendment to the United States Constitution was passed in 1920, guaranteeing women the right to vote. Susan B. Anthony, who died in 1906, never saw it passed. But it would not have been possible without her lifetime of dedication to the cause of women's suffrage. The Reverend James Reeb was one of many Unitarian Universalist ministers and laypeople who responded to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s call to Selma 43 years ago. King sent an urgent telegram to Boston headquarters of the UUA on March 7, 1965, asking religious leaders and concerned citizens to join him in Selma, Alabama, where African Americans marching for their right to vote had been brutally attacked by lawmen. The Unitarian Universalist Association's Board of Trustees, meeting at the time in Boston, adjourned their meeting and went en masse to Selma as did the vast majority of ministers in our movement at the time. As Chris Walton wrote in the UU World, James Reeb had been in Alabama less than a day when assailants attacked him and two other white Unitarian Universalist ministers on a Selma sidewalk, fatally injuring him with a blow to the head. Reeb's death on March 11, 1965, inspired a wave of nationwide protests memorial services, and calls for federal action, transforming Reeb into a martyr and creating the political groundswell President Lyndon Johnson needed to introduce new voting rights legislation. Four days after his death, Johnson invoked his memory. He called him that good man as he introduced the Voting Rights Act into a joint session of Congress. President Johnson had invited King to attend the historic speech but Martin Luther King turned him down because he was busy delivering James Reeb's eulogy in Selma that very day. In that eulogy, Dr. King asked a nation to use Reeb's death as an inspiration to make our country live up to its ideals. So in his death, King said, James Reeb says something to each of us, black and white alike, says that we must substitute courage for caution, says to us that we must be concerned not merely about who murdered him, but about the system, the way of life, the philosophy which produced the murder. His death says to us that we must work passionately, unrelentingly, to make the American dream a reality so that he did not die in vain. Those words from Martin Luther King. James Reeb died 
standing up for the rights of black people in Alabama to vote. His death inspired the passage of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. We should not lightly cast off the legacy of people like James Reeb. Voting is a way of honoring our past and of recognizing the struggles of the many heroes whose lives were given that we might have the opportunity to vote today. Voting is, of course, also an ethical obligation to those in the present. There are many things riding on the outcome of November's election. The two major party presidential candidates differ very substantially on a number of issues. The presidential race, however, is not the only one on the ballot this November. If it were, you might be right to protest that polls in New York and Connecticut, where most of us live, predict that a few votes will not make much of a difference here. But they certainly might in other elections. This November, voters in this area will also elect members of the House of Representatives, as well as our State Assembly and Senate. All three feature competitive races that have the power to change our nation. The majority party in the New York State Senate holds their power by the slimmest of possible margins, one vote. Our area is one of the few in our state where senators from both parties are represented. The party in power for the next two years will have an enormous opportunity to shape the legislative agenda in New York, and your vote might change the outcome. Among the bills that I know of that might come up in the next year in New York State are marriage equality legislation and a non-discrimination law that would protect transgender people. Those bills might not change your life at all, but you certainly know people whose lives would be improved as a result of these things becoming law. Some of those issues in the election affect all of us, but many of them affect only some of us. For example, Eric and I are quite unlikely, unless one day we have a daughter, to be faced with a situation in our personal lives that calls us to make a decision regarding abortion. And yet, I believe firmly that our government needs to protect the rights of women to make those decisions for themselves. You might disagree, and I respect that, but my support for the rights of women to control their own bodies is one of the many things that informs how I vote, even if it has nothing to do with my own life. In voting, we are called time and again to make decisions about things that will change other people's lives. We have an opportunity to see in this an ethical obligation to do what we feel is best for others. We must use that discretion wisely. We have an ethical obligation to think of others, an obligation which I believe calls us to vote this November. I believe that voting, expressing our voice, participating in the democratic process of our larger society, and exercising a right fought for by so many is also an expression of a religious belief that holds that we as humans are ultimately responsible for making our own meaning in this world. Dick Gilbert writes that a vital source of personal religious meaning emerges out of commitment to causes that transcend the self. He explains, as we embrace the spiritual, we need to remember that a vital source of religious meaning is through our participation in the actions and passions of our time, 
Meaning, he writes, emerges in lived human experience. Voting asks us to understand our responsibility to participate in our society at large. It asks us sometimes to give up all of what we want in order to work for a greater good. It asks, asks us to compromise, to see self-interest as more than just what will benefit us now in the short term. It asks us to use the faculties of reason that Unitarian Universalists so revere. For all of these reasons and more, I implore those of you who are eligible to do so to vote this fall. Go to the polls this November. Request an absentee ballot if you won't be here. Do whatever is necessary to make sure that your voice is counted. Now, it would be naive of me to say that I don't care whom you vote for. Of course I care. I care as, as a citizen of this country with my own opinions, hopes, and needs. I care as someone who has been deeply invested in the American political process since way before I was old enough to vote myself. I definitely have my opinions, but let me be clear. The one role I have in which I do not care about the exact votes you care in a few weeks is as your minister. I believe firmly that this religious community needs to be a place where we can disagree, even about very important issues, and still hold one another in love, respect, and compassion. As a part of that, I pledge to you that never will the way I serve you as your minister be dependent upon us sharing a particular political viewpoint. I'm happy to discuss, to debate, to celebrate or commiserate with you about elections in our community and our nation. I can't and won't pretend that I don't have an opinion just because I love you no matter what yours is. But most importantly, I want you to know that if you are eligible to do so, I want you to vote this year. It's important. It's important to honor our past, to fulfill our ethical obligations to those in the present, and to participate in making meaning by exercising our voice in society today. When it comes down to it, we live in a do-it-yourself do nation. The United States, like Unitarian Universalism, depends on the participation of all who are part of it in order for it to make progress. Perhaps this is why Thomas Jefferson famously, even though wrongly, predicted that Unitarianism would become the religion of every thinking person in the United States. Sometimes that progress is made when citizens demand it. Sometimes when we fight for it. Most of the time, though, progress is made in our nation through the simple and revolutionary act of voting. I hope that you will do your part. May it be so.